so uh, we're in Matthew chapter 11 and, he, and, he, and he's given this, uh, he sent the disciples out on their first, on their first uh, training mission and he's going around and he's preaching. And so we're seeing w- what I see as four different responses to, to God. The first thing we saw uh, response to a relationship with Christ was John the Baptist. He's going through this time of indecisiveness, of doubt. And we discussed why he was going through that and how he got around that. And uh, we applied it to our lives as well about being uh, indecisive. The second thing we saw was intolerance. And last week we talked about how these two, these two kingdoms are in conflict. And we talked about smash mouth Christianity. And how uh, sometimes we just need to punch Satan in the jaw. And uh, I got an email this morning from someone. It was so cool. And it just said, I just wanted you to know I punched Satan in the mouth today. And uh, that was just very cool. Uh, but uh, so <clears throat> that was last week. And I, last week was a struggle because I, I felt at the end, I was a little frustrated with the way I had presented things. Because I felt in the end that I wasn't clear that in smash mouth Christianity, when you are ready to go at it, when you are ready for the game, you're, it's game time and you're ready to go. That's all up in this kingdom. I, I just wanted to make that clear that we're not to be Christians who are, I mean, at sometimes we have a, a word that says, hey, this is wrong or whatever. But I wasn't saying that we go out and we just start smashing people. <laughs> okay. We're not at war with the world. We're at war for it, for the souls of those people. Okay, so I just wanted to make that clear that because of that, because it's so important up in this kingdom, we take everything seriously and and and, uh, we're ready to attack Satan and ready to defend when he attacks us. So that's where we are. So we're going to go through two more today. The first is incompatibility, and we're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through eight uh, through uh, 19. Here's what it says. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Wisdom is proved right by her actions. So here's what Jesus is saying now. He's, he's looking out and he's going, what, what do I compare this generation to? And he compares them to children. And what was happening uh, at that day, there, there were two major events that would happen uh, often in, in that culture, in those towns. One was a wedding and one was a funeral. And some of you are like, What's the difference? No, I'm kidding. That's a bad. It's a bad. Okay, I was just kidding about. Right. So they'd have, and they were very public events. It wasn't like now where we say, you know, okay, I'm having a wedding and I'll invite you and you. Some of you are still like, that was really cold. Don't worry, you'll get over it. Uh, you, got you, you, and you, and you, and you come to my wedding. These were these were public. Everyone knew about the wedding, and it was big fanfare. And sometimes they'd go down the the streets and into the marketplace, and it would be a big deal. Same with funerals. Funerals were very public things. The, the wealthy would hire professional mourners that would, you know, they were, I don't know how you get that gig. Like if you go in and try out and just like, no, these are real tears. I'm not kidding. But you, 
they would they would wail and cry. So the, the wealthy, it would look like, oh, we're so upset that they passed away. And so the kids would play these games, wedding and funeral. But they're just mocking what they see. And so one would be the bride and one would be the groom and they'd march through the, the streets and all the kids would join. Same with same with funeral. And so what Jesus is saying is to that generation when and I think after we get done this morning, we'll see it applies to our generation as well. There's this sense that there's a song being played. And and people get really upset when you don't participate. And so what happens is Jesus says, look, the, the world is saying we're playing the flute for you, but you're not dancing. We're singing a dirge, but you're not mourning. There's this incompatibility with the kind of worldview and focus of the world down here and the worldview and focus of the kingdom of God up here. There's an incompatibility. The world is playing songs. Is that not our generation? I mean, you can look right now. Right, right now, our culture in America is playing a dirge, which is a, a, a song of mourning, right? When you open up the newspaper, oh, the stock market's down. 40% since, you know, whatever, since it's high. Oh, well, ah, you know, my retirement, you know, whatever, professional mourners. <laughs> Easy, okay? And then, and, and, and housing prices are down, and there's this horrible thing, and, and unemployment's on the right. There's this dirge that the world is playing. Do you think God is mourning that dirge? Do you think he's sitting up there going, oh, man, what are we going to do? So goes the American economy. So goes the world. Oh, oh why? He, he's not playing. And then what happens is the world, then things turn around and the world starts playing the flute. Oh, this is great. The economy's turned around. My housing is going. The, the, the banks are now lending. So we can start spending, right? We can get back into debt again. Oh, yes. Yay. Do, 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 right? You think God's singing to that? You think he's, oh, oh, goody. Unemployment's down now. Oh, I'm so excited. We, we play this flute. We're so progressive. Technology is going, oh, we're just, we're getting, we're learning so much. Jesus is saying, I ain't singing those songs that you're playing. And see, and so he, what he does is he begins to give this idea of incompatibility. He says, the world is like children going, why aren't you singing my song? Why aren't you mourning when we mourn? And Jesus says, because I'm playing my own song. I, I'm, I played a dirge. I, I, we, we sang a dirge. It was John the Baptist. And he came with a very strong message. Mourn your sin. You should be mourning your sin. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Messiah is coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. It was unquenchable fire. Remember, we we talked about that word picture John was using where there's a, a fire and the snakes are trying to get away from it. He's saying that's what's coming. A righteous fire. Mourn your sin. And the world says he's got a demon. We're not singing that dirge. And Jesus is going, well, I ain't singing your dirge. See the incompatibility there? 
And then Jesus comes with a message of reconciliation, of restoration, of peace. He's playing the flute going, hey, we can get back back right with God. There's peace. Come on, let's do it. He's healing. He's bringing restoration, showing what the kingdom of God looks like. And they say, ah, he's a drunkard. He hangs around with tax collectors and sinners. We're not singing his wedding song. Isn't it funny that what, what, the way Jesus describes our relationship with him and the church is a bride and groom, right? He sees us as his bride. See, God does sing songs. And he does get joyful. I want to read from Zephaniah 317. This is going to blow your mind. It did mine anyway. Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is in your midst. Ah, Everyone take a deep breath. Did you know when we were singing those praise songs and our hearts were really joined together and we were thinking about the Lord, the Lord was here in our midst. That is so comforting to me. Anyway, I start to digress here. The Lord your God is in your midst. I love the word. A victorious warrior. Now, think of a victorious warrior in your mind. You think stern and strong and he's got his spear and his... There he is, and he's all sweaty from battle, and the guy's manly with big arms, and he's all ready to go, and he's got all these sweet moves that he can do, all ninja stuff and all that. Picture that victorious warrior, God Almighty, strong and powerful, worthy of honor and praise and glory, majesty, sits on a throne, and watch what he does. He will exalt over you with joy. See that? See the victorious, mighty God with the tender heart? He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. You know what amazes me? Sometimes when we're worshiping or not not so much in my life anymore, but but times in my life and, and still times now where I don't feel like raising my hand. I don't feel like being part of it. I don't whatever. How how much more worthy is God than me? And yet he shouts. If I said, I'm not going to do it. But if I said to everyone, let's shout to God. Most of us, being human nature and being American, uh, would go, yay. I'm not going to shout. That makes me feel uncomfortable. And yet God, who's way worthier Shouts for joy over us. See, these things are incompatible. God's singing a different song. The angels shout out. They celebrate when one person comes to Christ. And yet sometimes the church of Jesus Christ just goes, oh, yeah, that's cool. They're having a wedding party and we go, yeah, yeah, whatever. See, God is not responding to your song. You're responding to his. God, God is playing a song in your life right now. It's either a flute or it's a, he's either saying, you know what? It is time to mourn your sin. It is time to wake up and get over it. Your sin is not compatible with this kingdom. And for some of you, he's playing a flute going, you are restored. You're redeemed. And we still walk around like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I just lost. 50 grand in my retirement account. And he's going, your retirement? I got that. It's taken care of. 
We need to listen to his song, respond to his song. What song is the Lord playing in your life right now? You know what it is. But one of the words that when we were up here praying, I was praying with the worship band, was because uh, we pray for you guys when we're up here, that you would hear the word of God and it would really reach your heart. Not my words, but the word of God. I'm pointing to a computer right now. But <laughs> I, I promise you there's, there's a Bible software program right on the other side of this screen. Uh, so uh, well, we, we pray for that. We also pray that as you worship, you would really concentrate on who God is. Okay, so you'd hear his word. One of the words that the Lord brought to my mind when we were, we were praying, as I was praying for the band, I said, Lord, I pray that they would feel your favor. So some of you need to feel the favor of God. You don't need to keep striving to be something so great up here. The Lord loves you. He sings over you with shouts of joy. So there's those two songs. Now there's lots of many songs in between. God's creative. But those are the two he brought up in the, in the word. So there's this idea of incompatibility. The world singing songs and the kingdom of God is singing songs. And neither one is that are almost opposites. That's the first thing we see in this section of scripture. The second thing is worse. It's probably the worst way you can respond to the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, we're getting into a section of scripture here. If you look on uh, verse 21, it says, woe to you, woe. And it's not like a bad Keanu Reeves woe, like, whoa, you know. Because we talked about the best actress in the world up here. He's the worst actor in the world. OK, so the two sides there. It's a curse. Curse you. OK, not a curse word. But he's proclaiming a curse upon these cities. You don't just do that. He's not just doing that flippantly. There's something that these two cities did. That really hit Jesus to the core. That really frustrated him. Here he is. He's bringing the kingdom of God with healing and peace. And he's hanging around sinners saying that they're the ones that need a physician. And these cities did something That caused them to be cursed. Let's read it. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on that day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. That is an indictment. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on that day of judgment than for you. Jesus, I mean, you've got an indecisiveness. Okay, John the Baptist. And Jesus says, hey, go tell John the Baptist not to worry. Uh, The the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are being healed. Okay, the good news is being preached to the poor. That's how he deals with indecisiveness. 
And then we talked about intolerance and how these two worlds are in conflict and how we looked at the Greek and it, and it could be taken both ways and it is taken both ways that violent people try to seize the kingdom of God and destroy it and yet the kingdom of God is also has violent men who, who try to take it by force and advance the kingdom of God. You've got those two things. And then we talked about incompatibility where it's just like I'm singing and you're singing a different tune and we're not, we're not getting on the same page. But then comes the curse. And that has to do with indifference. Indifference. And as we look as a church, we get into a section of scripture like this. And again, this is why I don't, this is why I enjoy going through the word of God. But then I also don't enjoy it because you get the hard scriptures that I've read a lot of commentary on this. And many people don't preach on this section of scripture. Okay. I started looking at it. You can look at it different ways. You can look at it like, yeah, try and find Chorazin and Bethsaida on a map. They ain't there. Wiped out. There is one that they tried to rename and, you know, try to say this is where Chorazin was, but it's not there anymore. So you can say, yeah, that's right. Don't ignore God. That's what's going to happen. You can look and you can talk about the day of judgment. All of us are going to give an account to God one day. And Jesus is saying, repent. And if you do not repent, there's going to be a day of judgment an eternity separated from God. And not a good eternity. Hell. We could talk about that. But when I get to scripture and what I like us to do as a church is to look and say, what does this mean for me? Tomorrow I get up and I go to work. I drive in traffic and I have that one guy in the cubicle in the, cubicle next to me that hums and it drives me crazy help me with that okay (laughs) so i started looking at myself and i started going well what's jesus saying here what what's the problem the problem is jesus showed up and he did a mighty work and people were indifferent they just went whatever And then, unfortunately, like I do, I started looking at my own life and I started saying, what is the Lord doing in my life or has done where I've become indifferent? I've just said, yeah, that's nice. We're moving forward now. We're going to move on now. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Matthew chapter 7, we talked about this a little bit when we were back in Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the sand. He's foolish. And when there's problems, when the rains come, right, and, 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 and the waves hit, it crashes. And, and it, it, such a great crash there is in that. Now, what was the problem there? They hear the words, but they're indifferent to them. I started going through my mind about all the times I've been at church, all the times I've opened up my Bible and had a quiet time, all the times I've worshipped that now are just, eh, whatever, what's the next thing? Instead of, that's one of the things I like about the Old Testament is every time God did something great, they built an altar, you know, and they called it something. It wasn't ever very creative, what they called it. You know, it was usually like, you know, God delivered them. Let's make an altar and call it God delivered us. You know, wow, that's some outside the box thinking. But 
I started thinking about my own life and where, I've, where I haven't put altars in my life, not to worship, but altars to remember what God has done. I've become indifferent. Now, Jesus talked about Tyre and Sidon to these people. This is an inflammatory, inflammatory word that Jesus has given these people. He's telling them, that Tyre and Sidon, this was a, a, a two cities that had uh, Phoenicians in them and uh, Philistines. They were fighting all the time. They would sell the Jews to uh, slave, to be, to be slaves. Oh, they hated these cities. And finally, God, prophecies about God wiping them out. Finally, God wiped them out. But if you talk to the Jew of Jesus' day, Tyre and Sidon were the epitome. It would be like, saying Las Vegas. You know, if I said to you, man... It's going to go so much easier for Las Vegas than for you. And I point to somebody. I didn't want to land on somebody. Everyone's like, whoa, easy, dude. Right? I said, if it'd be so much, it's going to be so much better for Las Vegas than you guys. What in the world? Why? They were indifferent. I want to read something that Eli uh, Weisel, he's a Nobel Peace Prize. He's Jewish. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1986. He was speaking to President Clinton and to people of Congress. And uh, I might be pronouncing his last name wrong. I don't know. Here's what he says. He says, hatred at times may elicit a response. You fight it, you denounce it, you disarm it. Indifference elicits no response. Indifference is not a response. Indifference is not a beginning. It is an end. And therefore, indifference is always the friend of the enemy. For it benefits the aggressor, never his victim, whose pain is magnified when he or she feels forgotten. He makes another statement about indifference that I put up here. It says, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. The opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. It's just to sit with the kingdom of God right in front of you and go, yeah, whatever, that's cool, no big deal. It's to get done. And I started looking, how dare I open my Bible and take the word of God so rich his letter to me and go, oh, yeah, that was cool. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. How dare I do that? I do that. Sometimes I just want to find out. Oh, no, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about there. I'm gonna, instead of just sit and go, man, what would the living God who wrote this word of God have for me? How dare I do that? How dare I come and prepare week after week and present something to you guys and then just... Yeah, it's on to the next thing instead of eternalizing it and figuring out what I can do. See, indifference is shown by inaction. See, if I say to my wife, oh, honey, I love you. Right. But I don't do anything ever. I'm indifferent. I just go, yeah, whatever. She's great. I told her I loved her once and she knows. And you guys are go. that's terrible. It is. And yet we do it to God all the time and it upsets him. And I, what I want us to understand as believers, it's not an ups for us. He just knows there's so much more. If you'd only seen, if your eyes would only be open. Now, what does he say here? He says, 
If they had seen the works that I had done, they would have what? Anyone remember? What? Repented. If they had seen, if they had seen, if they had understood the miracles that were going on there, they would have taken action in response to what the Spirit had been doing. Okay? That's all repentance is, is a response to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can show you that you're dead in your sin. Then you have a choice and you go, oh, yeah, well, I am. I am. What's the big deal? We see that response a lot. We see, don't you tell me what I, that I'm living in sin. OK, that was the intolerance response. Or we see, ah, oh, Lord God. Show me my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. I can make it right again. There's a response. Indifference just goes, wow, that was pretty harsh. Uh, so what? First John 3.10 says this. Now, this is, how, this, is such, this is such a brutal scripture here. Because <laughs> it only gives you two, you can only fall in two camps in this scripture. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. <laughs> That's just so brutal. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother, does not do what is right and does not love his brother. Two sections of inaction. When you look at our logo, it's loving God and loving people. That is all done in action. It's not feeling. I feel so close to God and I feel so close to my brother. What are you doing? See, if we just say we love him and we just say we love our brother, but there's no action, what is our faith in James? Useless. Indifference makes us useless. Indifference is inaction. Now, I want to show us a little bit in the Old Testament very quickly where this was played out. And it was played out in, in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 4. We're going to look at chapters four and chapters five, but we won't, uh, I'll kind of summarize what's been going on. There's my favorite king, his, his name's King Nebuchadnezzar. He's my favorite king because uh, you don't want to live your life, he's not a model, okay, to live your life, okay? He's a model for just how easily we can be swayed, how we can go from one, one, you know, where he's got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? His satraps, they call them satraps, which I don't even know what that is. But the people yakking in his ear tell him, hey, you know, you should, you should have every, no one can pray to any other God but you, right? And so, uh, uh, oh no, that was the idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the idol. And so you, know, you got to bow down to the idol, and they don't. And so they get thrown into the fire, right? And then they come, they come back out. And they're fine. And you see Nebuchadnezzar, there's only one true God. And he kills all the people who said he should have built the idol. You know, he confesses it. He smashes his own 90 foot uh, uh, picture of himself. Um, and, and he gets all done with that. And he's totally praising God. He's re- you look and you go, man, there's been a salvation. You know, he- this is fantastic. And then Daniel comes along. And they start whispering in his ear about Daniel because Daniel was a man of prayer. And they didn't like how Daniel was getting all the attention. So they start telling him, hey, how about they can only pray? They can't pray to their God, but they can pray to you. They can worship you. Oh, yeah. The guy goes from, oh, ah, I love the Lord to I love me. I just love this guy because it's, an, it's, it's a warning to us. 
No matter how close you feel to God, no matter how much, oh, you've got to be, like we said last week, ready for the game no matter what. We can't just coast on that stuff. So what happens is, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And it's a, it's a nightmare, essentially. Not like a nightmare that you and I have, where there's like a giant glazed donut coming after us or whatever. You know, kind of a weird, freaky thing. He knows this is from God. Okay, and maybe your glazed donut dream is from God. I'm not trying to judge you. But uh, he knows it's from God and he's frightened. And he says, look, I, I will, anybody who can, I need someone to give me this, tell me this dream. And so Daniel comes along and he says, you know what? I wish I could say this was about your enemies, but it's about you. And here's what he says. He says, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. And what does he say? Renounce your sins by doing what is right. And he goes on. Now listen to this. And your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. See this love for God. I love God. I want to do what's right. I want to do what's pleasing to him. And this love for people that, hey, it's not enough just to love God and do what is right. But you've got to have this. You can't be indifferent to the oppressed. And the oppressed in our kingdom is the lost. They're the ones in bondage. You say, well, my neighbor next door doesn't look oppressed. He doesn't look beaten down. If he doesn't know Christ, he's in chains. He's dead. He's in bondage. We cannot be indifferent to the lost through inaction. We might feel great. Oh, man, when someone walks forward and accepts Christ, I feel so good. That's great. But what do our actions say? Are we indifferent? So here's what happens. So he says that it may, uh, 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 it may be that then your prosperity will continue. So we read the very next thing. It says, and this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You, imagine you have this dream and a guy comes up and he interprets the dream. And he says, this is what it is. You better be right with God and be right with people, dude, or you're going down. Wouldn't that be scary? Like if you knew he was really from God, I'd be frightened. Like if one of you guys came up and said, look, I hate to tell you this, but you had a dream last night, didn't you? Yeah, with the glazed donut. Yeah, the glazed donut represents God and he's going to get, I don't know what it is, (laughs) right? So he has this dream. 12 months later, he became indifferent. 12 months later, it says he's, He stopped caring. He forgot. Here's this epic spiritual moment in his life and he forgot. He didn't care anymore. Time had kind of just made it like, oh, whatever. I started going through my own mind. I'm like, Lord, no wonder there's a verse in there. that says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Remembering what it was like before I knew Christ. I was a liar and I was, I was jealous and I was nervous and I, I had all this stuff. I was so self-consumed and the Lord delivered me from it. I've, I, sometimes I become indifferent to that. My life in Christ takes on a whole new thing that gets sidetracked with stuff. I forget the joy of my salvation. So what happens is 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar is sitting on his rooftop and he says, Is not this great Babylon where I've put up my royal residence, what I've created with my own might? Isn't this awesome? And the Lord said, oh, like I say to my son, 
bad choice, Nebuchadnezzar. Bad choice. And the guy goes insane. He starts, his fingernails get out like eagle's claws. And he starts getting all sorts. He gets hairy. And he starts eating grass like cattle. You've got to read it. Guys, read your word. It's awesome. It's in Daniel. Okay? For seven years. And then finally, he humbles himself. And he goes, oh, Lord, it was you. It was you. And he's restored again. So we get to the second part. Daniel chapter 5. His son, Belshazzar, he's having this huge party with all these rich people and he's kicking back and he's starting to show off, right? He's getting drunk and he's got his concubines and his wives. He's having this big party, he's big, big man on campus. And he goes to the temple and he takes the golden goblets out that were supposed to remain in the temple. And he starts drinking wine out of them. Hey, look at this. He becomes indifferent to the things that God sees as holy. They became nothing to him. They had lost the importance. The things that used to... Do you remember things in your life that used to get you just so angry with a righteous anger that now you just... Do you remember things in your life when you were a prayer warrior? You were on your knees before God. Sometimes you'd have your face bowed down. You were just crying out to him for the lost. And now it's, it's gone. I can think of those times in my life and it, it bugs me. And so this week I was going through and I'm just like, man, Lord, how could I have forgotten that? If you look on the back of your outlines for your small groups, one of the things is list five things that you've become indifferent about. I'll bet you can do it. I could do it. Five things. Remember? So what happens is he's having this party and these things of God, these things that God has deemed holy, set apart for him. They're just swigging out, knocking them back. And a hand comes out and writes on the wall. Mene, mene. It depends on the version you're using. I'll use NASB. Tekel Upharsin. Okay. <laughs> Sounds kind of creepy, right? It was creepy. As a matter of fact, it says Belshazzar went pale. He freaked out. And they said, don't worry, we'll get Daniel in here. Don't worry, we'll get Daniel in here. Okay. Anytime someone says, don't worry, we'll get we'll get a prophet to speak into your life. It's usually not not a good thing. So Daniel comes to him and he says, you know what, dude, let me tell you something. Now, pay attention. He says, but you he talks about. Let me go back so you don't get distracted. He's talking about. Uh, he, he goes to Belshazzar and he goes, your, your, your father was in a similar position. He was king and he could do whatever he wanted. And God, he was trying to tell him, do you remember what God did to him? You, seven years. He was freaked all out. He had, he got all crazy. And he, it says the dew of heaven. He, he probably stunk because he always had the dew of heaven on him. Moldy and he was crazy and he's eating grass. Ooh, wow. <laughs> right? And he says, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. That's what I want us to focus on. Though you knew all this, you were indifferent to it. It didn't have its thing. I started thinking about all the things I know about God that I've become indifferent to. I, I know he provides for my needs. And yet, 
when I get my paycheck, I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. I goes, I got, I got it all pretty much spent. <laughs> I know where it's going. Money comes in, gets out with the budget, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Instead of Lord God, thank you for providing for all my needs. I've become indifferent to my paycheck. Sometimes I become indifferent to worship. We're singing words that if you really think about what you're singing means life change. And yet I sing and I'm like, yeah, oh, I love this chorus part. <laughs> right? right? Refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. Really? No, it's not. I've become indifferent. So he goes, you knew all this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. How? Was he killing Jewish people? Was he, was he tearing down the temple? How was he doing it? You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the God, gods of silver and gold, of bronze, of iron, of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You've become indifferent. See, Jesus could be accused of a lot of things, but never apathy and never indifference. Jesus always had something to say when he walked into the temple. He knew that the temple that we were going to become the temple of God, right? That the Holy Spirit would reside in us. And yet when he walked in, he was just like, oh, he started flipping over tables. Why? Because it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. I want to go into one last section of scripture as we wrap up here. It's found in Revelation and it really kind of drives home this point. And again, as I read it, I was just kind of going through my mind. Man, Lord, there are a lot of things I've forgotten. Now, listen to me. For some of us, God, these words are a dirge. It's like, man, I've I've got to get my life right back. For some of us, it's a wedding song of, yeah. Do you remember what he did? Remember your first love? Remember when you first came to know Christ and all you wanted to do is be in the word. There's a wedding song playing for us. It's us for us to decide what the Lord's speaking to us. So in Revelation, what there is, is there's a, there's a section of scripture uh, in chapter three that goes through seven churches and it's Jesus talking. And, and so Jesus talks to the church at Ephesus and you know, he's going, he goes through these different churches and he, he often has something nice to say about them. Okay, you know what? You're living in, in poverty and yet you're rich. Others, you know, you're living in, there's the, all around you, people are evil and yet you're, you're holding on. And, but then he always says, but I have this against you. And we look and we go, ah, that's cold. Man, he's against us. No, he's saying, I want to refine you guys into a, 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 a life that is passionate about God and about people. And so when Jesus got done with this, he ended with a thing called he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is how we're starting out in Revelation. Revelation 3.13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is the last church, by the way, to the church, uh, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Write this. Now, remember, I was telling you every other church. I, I think there was one other that didn't have something nice. This church, there's nothing nice. He doesn't have, he doesn't soften the blow. With anything. He just comes right out. 
Here's what he says. These are the words of the amen. That is such a cool name for God. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know you're what? You're what? Your deeds. I know your actions. I know what you're actually doing. Not what you're saying, not what you're pretending. Your deeds. And here's the problem. There are none. He says this. You're neither hot, cold, nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So that because you're lukewarm, because you're indifferent, because you're not against it or for it, you're just kind of there. Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He's upset. Woe to you, Chorazin, to Bethsaida. I've done all these things. And you just shrug your shoulders and go, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I would rather us. <laughs> uh, okay. No, I can't say it in a way that I, I, I feel like. Uh, I'm sorry. Anyway, so, so here's what he says. He says, uh, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, to, uh, says to the spirit of the churches. Okay. And then he goes on. And he says this. You say, I am rich. Remember what he said to Capernaum? Will you be lifted up to the skies? Capernaum was a a, a coastal city there and they were jamming. They were doing great. And they felt great about themselves. And he says, are you going to be lifted up to the skies? You're going to feel great about yourself? Absolutely not. What did we see already? Wisdom is justified by her works, we saw in verse 16. Oh, no, 16. I think it was 19, sorry. In verse 19. And he goes on. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Right? We're singing a wedding song. I'm rich. I have wealth. I do not need a thing. Okay, right? And look at what Jesus says here. But you don't realize I'm mourning right now. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You won't be lifted up to the skies, Capernaum. You'll be brought down to the depths. Church of Laodicea, you think you're rich, but you're not. Okay? He goes on, I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire, so that you can become rich. I want you to start to see that the wedding song I'm singing is truly a wedding song. It's truly something to make you joyful. Come to me and redefine what wealth is. That's what Jesus is saying here. We say, are you wealthy? We as a church of Jesus Christ need to redefine what it means to be wealthy. It doesn't go up and down like the stock market or like housing prices. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes so that you can see. I want to give you an entirely different perspective. Do you know what the perspective is? It's a kingdom perspective. The kingdom of God. I want you to stop being indifferent to what's going on up here. And not only that, but to start focusing on it and to start living for it. Now he says one of the wor- one of the scriptures that we should all memorize because it's lame. We don't like it. Here's what he says. 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Ah, really? Yes, really. Remember, Jesus says, to those who've been trained by it, says discipline for the moment. Actually, it wasn't Jesus. It was the writer of Hebrews. Discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Right? When the Lord rebukes you, when the Lord disciplines you, it's no fun, is it? And Hebrews says, yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of what? Righteousness. We go back to repentance again. To him, and then he says this, here I am right now. This is written to believers right now. The Lord is standing outside and he's knocking on your heart right now. He's disciplining you in some. I know all of you, except for some of the visitors. You're not where God wants you to be. The reason I know that is I know me. I know God. I'm not where God wants me to be. He's knocking. He's going, if you just let me show you something in your life, you're going to take it to the next level and it's going to be awesome. It's going to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But he's knocking. And have you ever had someone knocking on the door and you're just indifferent to it? You stand there. Are you going to get that, honey? No, I think it's a Jehovah's Witness. Okay, whatever. I'll let him go. All right. Have you guys ever hidden from a Jehovah? You can be honest with me. I have. I've, I, I've been on my belly, you know, going to the, up, up to the light. Like, okay. like they can't see the light go off. <clears throat> the Lord stands outside the door and he knocks. And listen, if anyone, anyone, I don't care where you are in your relationship with the Lord. You are one of the anyone's. Here's my voice and opens the door. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That relationship is going to be richer. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We get back again. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. Recognize it. Listen. Don't be indifferent. We are in love. We are in love.